check, check. We recording, KP? We're on, guys. Welcome to Project Mindset, Season 2, Episode 7. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate all the positive feedback we've been getting from our, our episodes so far. I appreciate everybody posting these, sharing them, tagging us, letting us know about what you're learning and how your life is improving just from listening to this. So thank you again. Today's show, uh, this is somebody that I've been inspired by for a very long time. I was originally introduced to him through his mixtapes. In my opinion, some of the most legendary mixtapes of all time from Kanye, the graduate mixtape through his his Dilla tribute with Busta Rhymes to his summertime mixtapes with Jazzy Jeff and I think most known for what he produced in 2008, which was his Viva La Hova mixtape with Jay-Z and Coldplay. And I actually met Mick in 2007 officially when uh, I was organizing and putting together my best friend Jonas's 30th birthday and at this point it was like anything we wanted to do for that that party was at our disposal first things first was figuring out who the DJ was and at the very top of the list back then he went by Mick Boogie, uh, he was at the very top of the list and he came through, he rocked the night. And since then, we have not really connected much one on one. We've been friends through social media and I've been watching Mick really just explode and, and become one of the most sought after celebrity DJs in the world. Um, and lately, I've been seeing him shift into public speaking about entrepreneurship. Um, He's become an angel investor. And we spent a lot of time exploring his his strategic way of thinking about the moves that he wants to make and how he goes about transitioning and and mixing, no pun intended, the the different goals and aims and focuses he has. And I I think Mick really has an innovative way of putting together ideas and seeing things in, in ways that other people can't see. So we, we went deep into where that way of thinking came from and the moves he's up to these days as well as his inspiration for the future. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Sit back, enjoy it, and I'd like you to meet my good friend, Nick. So, for the listeners, in case they may have been under living under a rock the last ten years, like me, give them a <laughs> give them some insight. Who who are you? What what do you do? Uh, my name is Mick. I am a DJ. I'm a dad. Um, I, I kind of put the dad thing almost first now. Yeah. Actually, because that's the coolest part, which is, you, as you know. How was how uh, was the little one? Uh, Miles was three. Wow. Yeah, so that's kind of like my North Star for everything. Yeah, for sure. But um, a DJ, I, uh, I, I manage my career, which is like a real job in, in and right. of itself that like a lot of people have tried to do and haven't been able to do. So, so I do that always, as well. You, you've always yeah. managed your own yeah. career. Wow. Which is really awesome, actually. And that led to a lot of other opportunities. So do a lot of speaking I yeah. do a lot of uh, angel investing uh, advising companies things like that and uh, just really you know it's fun man I have a great I have a great you know I, this came from two crates of records in a dorm room damn and 
you know, it's great. That's amazing. So I bad posture and everything. <laughs> at what point in your 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 life, like at what age did you realize that that DJing is what you wanted to do? You know, I still wonder if that's what, <laughs> that's what I want to do. I still like I always say to myself, like, what do I want to be when I grow yeah. up? And then I'm like sitting here as an adult and I'm like, oh, shit, like this I'm, kind of I'm supposed to be grown up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't feel well, like Well, I mean, it, the but, reality is like what you do and the amount of people like how rare that is. Like I got my first set of turntables when I was, I think, 13, 14. And right. I, I, I had to move to Ohio ended up being some of my favorite times of my life. But I couldn't skate mm-hmm. as much as I wanted to, so I ended up getting some some 1200s, and that was always my dream to be able to to live and provide as a DJ. But I think that's very limited amount of people truly get to do that. Yeah, like for me, it worked out, but I didn't ever I didn't think that was gonna happen. It was something I did to pay for college and I did, well, pay for uh, pay for grad school. Like I went to grad school, and that was that's when it, the the money really started growing to okay. the point that I could pay for grad school doing that. It was something that started while I was in college. But wow, I didn't, so you didn't start DJing until you were in college. Yeah, I was 18. I sold a Michael Jordan rookie card in my senior year of high school and bought two turntables used. What? Yeah. It was awesome. Wow. It's great. St- it's like a great story. Like if I ever meet Michael Jordan, I'm gonna be like, "I'm your your rookie card's still worth five hundred fifty dollars." <laughs> Sorry, dude, you're not Babe Ruth. That's tight. Yeah, and so wow, I bought man, that. That's amazing. It kind of worked out. So, what got you into it? Like, what made you make that decision? Because you're in college. Yeah. You're supposed to be studying, dude. Not supposed playing with turntables. Yeah. So what that, made that you? That was a huge dilemma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What made you? What year? In, so you're 18. Uh, yeah, I was 18. Okay. And um, I just, you know, I played drums in high school, and I couldn't bring drums into a dorm room. Wow. Right. So I got the turntables instead. How old were you when you started playing drums? Oh, fifth grade. Okay. Yeah, I was young. I played all through middle school and high school. So I suck had, now, but yeah. But you had an interest in in music. Clearly. Yeah, totally. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I could distinctively remember being in four or five years old playing on my grandma's piano. Wow. Yeah. My dad played accordion. My grandma had like tambourines and shit Dude, all over us. Like, there was always stuff around. I see it now in, with my son. Like he walks around playing his little Avengers guitar. Right. But he doesn't just play the guitar, but he sings along with it and then he puts a harmonica in his mouth and he plays the har- and keeps the harmonica in his mouth yeah. and plays the harmonica and plays the guitar at the exact same Damn, time and stomps sick. his feet. He's three. And I'm just like, you definitely got my genes. And did you get that from your folks? Um... I don't know. I think so. Maybe. I mean, it's somewhere in, somewhere in the lineage of my family. My right. dad played, like I said, played accordion. I don't know that that really counts as a, I mean, that's a pretty challenging instrument, yeah, actually. Yeah, like, sure. It's just a lot of shit going on, and right. it's cardio, and I could never play accordion. So but, Pops played the gu- yeah, accordion. Yeah, I played the accordion. And did this you is, grow up seeing him play yeah, the accordion like that? Yeah, he would only play on, like, holidays, or, like, okay. when people were over, or, like, special days. It was, like, weird. And he only knew, wow. like, three or four songs. But, like, it was so awesome. same three. It was awesome though, you know? And so That's like, cool. I, I, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but yeah, I think definitely seeing that. And like I said, my grandma had a piano. We were always at my grandma, so okay. I would always just like fuck around on it. My aunt had a piano, then we ended up getting a piano. So like, there was always stuff like that there. Yeah. And I think and also socially, I was a nerdy kid. I wasn't like necessarily a cool kid and I wasn't an athletic kid. Right. So I gravitated towards the band aspect okay. of school. Yep. And that kind of created a social circle for me. So I think Did you ever was, like have a band or you just played the drums in like I just I was in all like the nerdy shit, dude. Like symphonic band and yeah, marching yeah. band and jazz band. That's you you, cool, you man. name it. I was I was playing cymbals and timpanis and like yeah, it just I was I mean, imagine a, a fifth grader getting on the bus every day carrying a damn xylophone. 
oh, damn. Yeah, like I had this xylophone, it was as big as like this cushion, and it was probably like 30, 40 pounds, yeah, and I was yeah. fifth grade, wow. hauling that shit on the school bus every day. Oh, wow. In the snow. You know like the story, like yep. we walked uphill That's on the That's the story you're going to tell yeah. your kids. That's the story you're going to tell Miles. You know what I had to do? I had to carry my xylophone yeah, that's uphill. Both ways. Both ways. That's great. This now you have it is, on dude, your I've, phone. I haven't thought about any of these. This is awesome. This is going to be a great show <laughs> because I haven't thought about any of these stories that's in a long cool, time. That's cool, man. Wow. So that's really cool. Like my son's playing the drums right now. I bought him his, uh, his first drum set, I think maybe five years ago. We saw it kind of chill. And over the last two years, he's just, he's, he's gone all in. It's really cool to see him just like, were your parents supportive of you yeah. and your interest in music? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, unequivocally. Like, I always thought my parents were crazy. They probably were. But, like, they were super supportive of, of my music stuff That's from awesome. the beginning. Like, always had piano lessons. My sister always had flute lessons. When I told my mom I wanted a turntable, she was all for it. She actually got me my first mixer from Radio Shack. Like, before I got, like, real turntables, right. like, she got me a mixer so from Radio Gemini's? Shack. Yeah, I had... No, I had I, my first real turntables were techniques, but the, I only had one actual turntable before that, okay. and I got it at Best Buy. I think Best Buy had just come to Ohio. It was like a big wow. deal. Like what part was, of Ohio did you grow up? I grew up in Youngstown. Youngstown, which okay. was like a crazy mob mafia city. Wow, a lot of crazy shit, you know. And yeah. um, every white boxer in the world has come from uh, Youngstown. Too. No way. Like if you're a white boxer, you were born in Youngstown, Ohio. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's weird. Crazy. We've had a lot of we've had a lot of them. But huh. that's, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, so they were supportive. I'm and then where'd you go to college? Um, I went to a school called John Carroll in Cleveland. Okay. And in well, your first year, you're like, I got to get some tables. I don't, I don't have my yeah. drum set. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to walk in here with, with some turntables instead of... And, it, and what was cool, uh, it was I went from being like the nerdy kid in high school to the cool kid in the dorm mm. in, the same, in the same year, like three months later. Right. I went from, you know, because it was... And, you know, I, lo I always... I, I share this story a lot with, with college students and stuff because... It taught me rebranding. Nobody called it that. Right. It was, you know, we were 18. It was just your life. Yeah. But I went from, like, having 18 years of baggage mm. to having no baggage and perception. Me walking in the dorm with two crates of records and two turntables, I'm cool. And I was like, what? Yeah. I'm cool? Like, this is not how I was treated three months prior. Now, so were you cool just because you had the tables and, 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 and the crates? Or was it until, I imagine you had to rock... You had to rock your first party before you became cool. Yeah, well, that stuff, you know, it wasn't really happening. It was just, it was just the perception of what I say cool is just like how I was treated. Okay, was drastically different because of how people perceived me. Yeah, which taught me a lot about the world, and that still taught me a lot about like marketing and perception to okay. this day. Interesting. I didn't do. I started doing um, college radio. Then I started doing college parties. Then I started doing like local parties and like the hip hop community. So you went straight to doing radio before rock and parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even. I did. I was still really learning how to DJ, DJ while I was doing college radio. Interesting. Because you didn't have to really DJ on college radio. You just played like, play the songs. Yeah. And that was cool. You were more curating, if you will. What, what were your first few records that you bought? Ooh, like like as a DJ. Yeah. Um, my senior year. Well, damn, this might have been. There was a Positive K record I got. This was probably before I was even DJing, but I remember thinking I was going to DJ yeah, at some yeah, yeah. point. And I got and that. So you that up. It was definitely some Jazzy Jeff stuff, which was ironic. Yeah. We ended up doing a lot of cool things wow. together. I remember, wow, man, so many. I mean, it was just like in the freshman year of college, I discovered that like, I could tell people I would do the radio show. Right. And they would send me records. Okay. And then the floodgates were just on from and that point on. And like for me growing up, like that, that just kind of, iconic golden era of hip-hop 
that pretty much just took over mm-hmm. my my whole my whole life, right? Oh, dude, like, yeah. at what at what stage for you and like your age did you realize like, man, did you really become like a hip hop head? Ooh, I mean, that was before college, actually. Okay. I had, like, my alternate life in high school where yeah. it was like, you know, I would come home and l- watch the VHS tapes of Yo! MTV Raps right. for Saturday mornings. They had a Saturday morning yep. show, too. And then my grandparents lived in Florida, and I don't know why. They lived in Naples, Florida, which is, like, the lily white. It's actually, like, a Trump-supporting racist capital <laughs> of the world. But they had uh, BET. Okay. And they had Rap City, which yeah, is yeah. mind-blowing to me. Right. That, like, Youngstown, Ohio did not have it. Or at least my, my area didn't. And I would, so I would go to Florida, and I'd be around just, like, the most non-Rap City people I've ever seen in my life, yet it would be but on. they had it. So I would never – I would go there every summer and visit them. I would never leave their house. My grandpa would be You're like, you don't want to go to the beach? Like, MTV they had a boat. Raps. You don't want to go out on the boat. You don't want to go to the mall. You don't want to do... No, because I, I would watch. I would watch you know, I would watch Rap City. I would watch uh, Video Soul or whatever it yep. was. Donnie Simpson yeah, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. I would watch their countdown. Because I was never going to see any of these songs wow. until, I, until next year. It was mind-blowing to me. Man, was, that's wild. Yeah, it changed my whole... And then also, also very influential in me becoming a DJ also. I, th- I think about this. My grandparents are kind of like partially responsible for it without knowing because going to visit them gave me all that access to that stuff. Okay. Also, there were all these like Florida um, pirate radio culture was a big thing down there, like like bootleg radio stations. It was like not college radio, but it would be like dudes broadcasting in like some building and you could only hear it for like 20 miles around. Wow, and We didn't crazy. have that. So in Florida had all these mix shows of DJs that were amazing. And I used to, have, I used to go record them all and get, get these like tapes of these guys who I, I, I would love to, I don't, all the tapes broke, I played them so much. Right. And uh, I would listen to that and listen to that and listen to that. And then, cause I couldn't go home and hear mixed shows on the radio, we didn't have that. So wow. I had to like live off of whatever Record I recorded them, in Florida and bring it back. Man, that's and, wild. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, so I would learn like, oh, that's this song, that's this song. And you couldn't Google it. So you just had to like, and then one day I'd finally be able to deduce what the song was, try to find a cassette or a CD okay. of it. And then as I got older, go get the vinyl of it. And, but to this day, like when I play songs from, that I remember from those, those tapes, it puts me right back in that mind state. Yeah, that's crazy. Awesome, man. And kind of interesting to see how your angle, it, 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 it feels it looks like it went straight to like okay let me let me do something with this mm-hmm. where i think most people got the turntables they started playing like for me i immediately just wanted to scratch like a track like that was it i saw some 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 video and i'm like man i need to learn how to do that right whereas you went and started with you know let me get on the radio yeah i guess that's a great point i never i think about it like that sometimes but i guess it started really early for me it's always been about building the behind the scenes of it in order so the, the, the front, of the, front of the house or whatever can right. happen. So for me, it was like, I'm gonna get a radio show so I could create it, so I can get DJ gigs. Yeah. And then I'm gonna take DJ gigs so I can get brand gigs. And then I'm gonna take that stuff and combine that so I could do, then I started doing commercial radio mm. in Cleveland. Then I was able to take all that, put that in a, in a, in a pot and went and pitched the Cavs, and I was the Cavs DJ for like four or five years. Where do you think years. that came from, right? Because when we really think about like how you, you, you've developed as as a brand mm-hmm. and it's been very strategic My whole is what life, it yeah. looks like yeah. where, where do you think that came from like that strategic way of looking at things from an outside perspective and say okay boom i'm going to start from the radio show if i'm on the radio then i'll be able to to rock parties and you know what yeah. i mean like where do you think that thinking came from um i mean i think i was born with some of it i think also realizing you know i didn't realize until 10 years ago all that was super entrepreneurial yeah like it totally was it was but i realized also in retrospect like 
all right, keep in mind, we're in 2018, right? 2019, maybe when this, when this comes out, everybody's an entrepreneur. Like right. the, the fucking dog walker is an entrepreneur. Everybody the guy selling churros downstairs, yeah. he's an entrepreneur. I think my, son, the, my son is an entrepreneur. My, my uh, 10-year-old is right. definitely an entrepreneur. He sells Supreme stickers. Amazing. You know, that he buys on Amazon for five bucks. He gets a pack of 50, and he's like, He's like making bread at his school. That's fantastic, and and he and he is right. But 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 like you know, when we were kids, like that stuff didn't exist. And yeah. my dad, we were they were people were small business owners. Right. They, they, there was no like entrepreneur.com. Right. There was no Gary V. There was no any of this shit. It yeah. was just like you you created a small business. It, it either three things one of three things happened. It failed. Right. It stayed a small business or yep. it became a big business. Yeah. Those were your three fucking outcomes. That was it. And so in my family. My dad created a, a carpet and tile company, failed. Mm. So he, he was a failed. He didn't fail fast. He didn't fail. He wasn't celebrating failure. It wasn't right. some like, fucking Sheryl Sandberg stuff. Yeah. It's just. And you felt that. You just failed. Yeah. He just went and had to go get another job. My grandpa started um, a pharmacy that ended up doing really well. So they ended up having like two or three pharmacies, mm. gift shops, to, to the point that they could retire to Florida, have a great life, help me with college and all that. So he, he definitely, he didn't become like a big business, but it right. became a, a much bigger business than a small business. So, so he was you, a successful entrepreneur. You witnessed both of those two things. And so do you feel like you really grabbed and, and asked yourself, okay, why did Gramps succeed? Why did Pop's business fail? Um, as an adult, I found myself going back and analyzing a lot of that stuff. Okay. Like, I think a lot of it is just timing. I yeah. think a lot of it is just situational. You could put the most talented person in the, in the worst environment, and it's just not going to happen for them. You could put the worst person in the best environment. My dad just had a series of unfortunate events, I think, that just, you know, he tried hard. Just sometimes it just doesn't work. Right. You know, some, that happens to me, happens to you, happens to everybody, you know. Yeah. But my grandpa had a different situation, and I, it showed me that it's possible. What do you... Am- Wow. So you already kind of answered my question because what I was going to ask you was, what do you think the statement was that you, you told yourself in seeing those two things, right? Like for, for me, um, when I saw my dad go to prison and, um, we had a, we had, we had this crazy life, like we had an awesome life. And then all of a sudden we get a knock on the door and he gets taken away and we're on, we're on welfare Wow. and we had to to really fight to survive. It was really a struggle to survive. And I think in that moment in watching that happen, um, I developed this this ability to know like you have to, you're gonna struggle and you're gonna make it, mm-hmm. right? Like that was my statement. You, It's gonna be a struggle, but you're gonna make it. What do you think you're, you're when, again, you just answered it, was like, it's possible, right? Well, do you think if that I love were, what you said, because what, what I've realized now in, in my old age, in my geriatric <laughs> self, is, because I've reinvented myself every few years and expanded it, and we'll, we'll get into all that stuff, but here's, here's the one thing I unequivocally believe because of like just the, how the world works, because of my hard work, and because of God, and because of all these other layers in between those yeah. three things. I know that whatever I do now is not gonna fail. Mm. You know, and I know that unequivocally as a fact. I mean, it, it might not achieve to. Uh, let me rephrase that. I know I'm not going to fail. Things I do may fail, right? right? Because you can't guarantee what's going to happen, except it's by my dad or anything mm. else. But when I look back at my life as as a as a man who's definitely middle aged, who's had been doing Are we middle aged man. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Shit, I think so. I didn't know that, dude. I think so. I think so. Damn. But I look at my life, right? And so from going to college to creating this hobby, which 
ended up paying for grad yeah. school and then I finished that and then I was able to just like turn this hobby into like a real career right. and then never having I've never had to go get a job man. Mm. like you know I you said I, I I know what I know that nothing I'm gonna do is is like you said I know I'm not gonna fail yeah. what I what I do may fail right I'm not like right because like, dude, I moved. I, 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 when I, nobody thought I could be like going from a college dorm room to like DJing every single thing in, yeah. in Ohio for like five, six years. But I, but I did. Then nobody thought I could be like that guy to do that and start getting out of Ohio and doing other stuff. Right. But I did. And I mean, we met when I was in Ohio. Like yeah. I had a whole, all that LRG stuff was happening for me in, in my Cleveland days. It wasn't after I moved to New York, you know? And yeah. then when I moved to New York, I moved to New York with like no money, dude. But like people were like, oh, you, you're just going to end up coming back here. I was like, Maybe, right. and maybe I will, but like, I don't think so. And then even but what's so powerful is that you understand that who you are is not a product of what you do, right? And I think when you, when you can separate, there's what I do, then there's who I am. Yeah. And I think that's one of the purposes of this podcast is to really help people understand that, you know, it, it, it's a three-step process. It's be, do, have. And if you do something that doesn't work, that doesn't necessarily change who you're being. And I think our being is our is our choice. You know, that's really awesome what you said, though. It's like if, if you do something and it doesn't work out, that doesn't mean you're a failure. No. Yeah. That just, it just means, means there's something else that, that you, you either need to refine it or there's something else you need yeah. to do. And I when I sit here and I'm just like, man, like on a macro level, everything has worked out. Right. And I realized that it's not because I'm a good or great DJ or there's days when I'm a bad DJ, but there's days when I'm a great DJ, right? Yeah. Like it kind of nets out in the middle usually, but right. um, it's, it's not because of that. It has to be beyond, it has to be deeper than that. Like I couldn't have, like, people wouldn't fuck with me. It, it helped me and people wouldn't have helped me get in positions I need to get into and people wouldn't have booked me and people wouldn't have talked to me or danced for me or any, right. anything. People wouldn't have done these things they do for my son now Like if, if it was just a transactional thing. Mm. So what I've realized was the reason this has happened is because like you said, it's because of who I am, not because right. not of what I do. And I think if so I was- who, who would you yeah. say you are? Like what, would, what do you think are some of those qualities that you have? Because look, in, in terms of skills, there's a lot of people who have skills as yeah. far as DJing, mm -hmm. right? But who, what do you think skills. are the lots more skills than I have? Yeah. What What do you think are some of the qualities that you have that have allowed you to go where you've gone? Ooh. Like that. No matter what happens, you could take everything away. You could chop chop your hands off, and now you can't DJ anymore, right? So, what are the qualities in your core that that really make Mick who he is? I mean, I'm pretty good at human being shit you mm -hmm. know like I, I i've always been relationship first like transaction second mm. you know for the most part i'm yeah. sure there's somebody who's gonna watch it's important like, no. if you're gonna be your own manager yeah but see i didn't realize that at the time see I, I managed my career because there was nobody else that either wanted to do it or could do it better than i did i didn't realize the skills i was learning and yeah. i also didn't realize that i'm actually really fucking good at that Interesting. like like i'm that's the secret to my career it's not the djing like the there's like i said there's djs that we all know they're way better than me i'm not bad but yeah. they're way better they have more talent than i'll ever have but I'm really good at people management, relationship management, and I'm good at putting the pieces together in like a, in a, in like some sort of like minority report, like like white, you know. Yeah. That, that, I, that I'm good at. When did when did you realize that? Ooh, le too late. But I did realize it. I mean, I think I think maybe when I moved to New York is when I really realized that. It's funny because one of the questions that I wrote down is. Um, like what were some of the skills like there's a path of 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 mastery that i i feel like 
I read a book called The One Thing. And it's funny because I feel like I have two things. And my two things complement each other. It's coaching mm -hmm. and closing. But I think there's a lot of power when you say, you know what, this is, this is the one thing I'm going to get really good at versus like, I'm going to be this guy. Da, 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 da. And I feel like, I imagine you really focused in on your one thing, which was DJing. And in that, in that process, you developed this other skill, right? And I was kind of curious, at, at what point did you realize that other skill? The skill of just like, that running my life, like like running my life as as a business, yeah, thing, and, and 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 all the other, um, it was definitely within the last ten years. Mm. You know, I'm I'm 40. This I moved to New York at 30, so okay. it's probably somewhere in between that where I really realized it. I was definitely doing it the whole time, right. but I didn't realize it because I was still always at the point where, and I hope this never happens now. But when I was 25, I'm like, I'm not going to DJ at 30. And when mm. I was 30, I was like, oh, I'm not going to DJ at 35. <laughs> at 35, I was like, I wonder what's going to happen at 40. And now I'm 40, my my career's never been better. Right. So I've stopped saying that. Like we're going to never say that again. Yeah. Let's just enjoy this shit until the wheels fall off. That's awesome. But you know, I kind of realized. What, what I realized was my skill set that is what that's got me from 20 to 40 is is could apply to anything it didn't have to be a skill set that works just for DJing that's awesome my uh, way I approach problems my way I approach the structure of of relationships of putting deals together of putting whatever right like I could have done anything I could have created a pharmacy I could have done real estate I could have done anything yeah. I have the ability to put that stuff together I chose to put that into a career that also I happen to be the talent which is, that's, that's awesome. what makes it really unique. Well, I heard uh, Simon, I think it was Simon Sinek, he said, you know, because we always talk about our why and there's your gift and your passion. And, and one of the things he said, I think discovering your why is an important thing. Why the heck do you do what you do? Mm -hmm. And specifically in business, I believe is where this statement came from. But he says, your why is the value you give to the world. And I think when you can figure that out, well, how am I valuable to the world? And, and as soon as you're able to pinpoint that, and man, you just hit that thing over and over and over and not try to pigeonhole yourself. Like I thought I was supposed to be Tony Robbins and I tried to do that. I left real estate to try to be like a young Tony Robbins, completely bombed. And I mean, I went flat broke because I was like, no, I have to be a speaker and a life coach. I have to be a speaker and a life coach. And then my son Kaizen was born and I'm living in my mother-in-law's house and my mother-in-law's literally like, Kev, can you go back into real estate? I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm supposed to be a life coach. And it got to the point where I had no other options. And I realized that the skill set that I have in life coaching and personal development was listening to people yeah. and kind of being a coach and helping people get from point A to point B. And I'm like, damn, all right, let me at least try to take that skill and not be so, you know, it has to be this way and apply that to real estate. And holy crap, like I, 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 the experience that I have of it now, if I never was open to yeah. changing it, 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 there's no way. But I mean, but look at what you described. Like it's like literally the same yeah. skill set. It's the yeah. same path. Like how you know you, you're helping people make a good decision that's going to impact their life, and you're right. going to have them go from A to B, as well as like evaluate all these other options right. along the way to get you from A to B. Yeah, that's the, it's the same. It's the same skill set. I think the way I'm, you approach real estate is probably drastically different than many other people right. do, simply because you you have that skill set. That's the same skill set I've I've applied to teaching. Like that's it, awesome. It doesn't man. have to be. But but it's like it's your it's your, I love that you said that it's like it's your why like my why is is I'm good at putting things together 
And I'm also now my second why, I guess I'm is like, I like to be able to explain to people how I did it, right. why I did it and how it worked out and show and show them that they can do it. Yeah. Because now this is like, not, not like on like a Tony Robbins way, but you know, I do get to go speak at a lot of schools. Now I get asked to speak to a lot of like young entrepreneurial students and all that. And people think that my story is so much more fascinating than like the average guy that went and, and just did this and did this. Nobody's really done it my way. And I want people to know that they can. Yeah. You know, that's awesome, man. I think about my, my, my good friend, Andy, you know, he had a brand called I am King and it was, mm. it was popping for a while. That. You know, and it reached a point where it was like, shit, we have to transition. We've got to pivot. And they transitioned. And out of all the industries, they took the skill set that they had in creating a buzz, creating a hype. And out of all the industries, they applied that to ice cream. And they started afters. And that, with, with Oh, with I didn't Andy know that was and, the same people. Yeah, That's I mean, Andy and, and Scott, what they've done with afters is insane but again they took what's that thing that we do well it's connecting with people it's collaboration who the hell ever thought to collaborate ice cream with spongebob or what they did with hello kitty or what they did with all their other collab you know what i mean but i mean if you think about coming from a streetwear world that's like but that's how the mind works dude to have a line out like lines out the door like supreme line out the door for a new ice cream they just did it something with the hundreds like so rad but the collaboration mindset is fascinating too, because obviously, like DJs, like we've been doing that since the beginning. Yep. Like we've been remixing and mashing up and putting together songs in a way. And just the other day, I had uh, drinks with a friend of mine who was starting a, starting a new company, and he was talking about um, some of the clients they're going to work with and some of the brands and yep. all of that stuff. And he was telling me the name of the company, and I was just like, dude, like, have you thought about working with this brand and, and, and this brand? Because the name of this company and the name of this company both. Ha- they're, they're, I can't say what it is, but like their companies combined to like literally mm. make the name of his new organization. Wow. And I'm like, bro, like literally, <laughs> like just thinking like a DJ, thinking like a, thinking like putting together a mixtape, thinking like culturally like right. that, like you need them and you need them and you need to fucking do an amazing right. event and create merch and, and put them together. It is for his things, charity related. So it's like all these people are going to benefit. The brands will benefit. You're going to benefit, but it's like put them together. And he's just like, that's fucking, he's like, he's like, you yeah, know, it's just, awesome. it's not, it, the dude's a genius, but he's just like, that's why you're sitting here. Well, like, I'm always interested in talking, because anybody can, can talk about entrepreneurship. Anybody can talk about motivation, right? Like, right now, everybody's a life coach. Everybody's an entrepreneur. Like, literally, Do the memes everybody. on Instagram drive you fucking nuts? You like, know? Every day, it's like, Dude, these, I'm I, just like, Like, oh. show me, show me. I, I'm kind of a show me guy. Like, show me what you, what you did. Like, why should I listen to you? Or you just... A motivating dude who read a bunch of books, and now you want a bunch of people to pay you for your subscription thing, and like that's your thing. I, like, show me what you did, and to me, like you're truly, uh, you're you're one of the goats, man. And in that that, I'll just go to like the reverse fix, right? Oh. Jay Z, Coldplay, like the reverse fix, like that song. When I heard that, that was like maybe 2007, 2008. I'm like, holy. Crap. That was my favorite song on that project, actually. Dude. So, like... But think about that. Think of the thought process which said that song had r- drums in reverse. Yeah. Because it was like the Beastie Boys, Paul Revere drums. Right. Because I, was al- I always think of, like, weird things like that. Like, okay, not, if we're going to remix the Jay-Z and a Coldplay song and we're going to use that Coldplay song where he's talking about reverse, like, it would only make sense to use drums that are in reverse on a song talking about being in reverse. But, like, literally, of all the people that have listened to our project over the last decade... 
nobody, maybe like five people have actually got, oh, dude, I got that the drums were ah, working. So wow. it's like there's always like little, little uh, Easter eggs yeah. to try to put into things like that. So where, where does that part of your brain come in, right? Well, first of all, let's get some of the listeners familiar with like some of the projects who may not know because, okay. you know, a lot of, I think the average age of people who are listening to, to my podcast are, is about 27, like 10, Amazing. 15 years younger than us. So they were not up on it at 16, 17. Right. What have been some of like your favorite projects, mixtapes that you've um, made? It's like funny. I don't really do need as kids many to go and do their, anymore, but do like, their research. Like, what are some of your top ones? Like the biggest mixtapes I've done in my life were a few things. There was um, the thing you mentioned, which kind of really like set a tone for my mixtape career, which was um, the Viva La Hova thing, which was a Jay Z Coldplay mashup thing. It yep. was pretty much like the second most popular Jay Z mashup besides the um, the Gray album. Right. And I, I remember one day I was sitting at a, some weird dinner party and I was actually sitting next to Danger Mouse. Oh, wow. And I was like, hey, man, it's nice to meet you. I said, I actually have the second most popular Jay-Z uh, mashup <laughs> project of all time. And he, was, and he was like, oh, really? What's that? And yeah. I was like, well, maybe it's not second. He knew. May no, 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 he didn't know. It's just on. like I was just like he I was like I was like maybe low, it maybe it was no, tenth or twentieth. That was a DJ but, jab. Danger Mouse, you know you heard. But that. how? But but how? It was so. It was awesome. I needed that. <laughs> I needed that moment. But to this day, though, like I can go anywhere in the world, and somebody if I if I start to tell them about my career, like somebody will either have that or everybody will have the um. I do Jeff Jazzy Jeff and I do the, yeah. um, the summertime mixtapes every year, yep. which we've done nine. We're gonna wow. do another one. Um, those are those are classic. Like yep. everywhere, somebody, somebody. If you love any sort of like '90s hip hop soul funk, like you know, you have those. And then the other thing I did that was pretty helpful to me was um, Buster Rhymes and I did a project wow, a decade ago. Yeah, the yeah. Diligence Project, which was right after um, Jay Dilla died. Man, that was amazing. And obviously, dude. Dilla has become like a, a, a holy grail in hip hop, and Busta was one of probably the first guy actually ever using using his production. And we put together this project of all these unreleased Busta Dilla songs. And to this day, like, so the, I would say those three are the, are the things for me. How but, were you able to connect with somebody like like? Did you know Busta when when did you come up with the idea for it? And then yeah, you I came up them? with the idea. Here, here's a great question, right? Like, you have collaborated with some huge names of people, right? And and like how do you how do you just approach somebody like that? Like what's your mindset when you when you're going to approach somebody on a Buster Rhymes level or um you know, I mean, you've had who else are some of the other names of people that you've worked with and um, collaborated with? I mean, a, a lot of people, a lot of some of them were cl were collaborations, some were more like just grassroots do it yourself. Yeah. So like obviously I didn't go to Jay Z and Coldplay yeah. and say, "Hey, what do you what do you think of this?" But ironically, Coldplay ended up putting it on their site. And then one time, like one time in life, I had a conversation with Jay Z, and I asked him if he heard it, and he was like, "It was all right." And, and I was like, "But that's like you know, that's like the like Santa Claus saying, like you know, you were a good boy this year." You know, <laughs> he said it was all right. Yeah, like that's great. Like yeah. you know, the, I mean, who knows? That's enough. Take that. Yeah, I'll take that. That's yeah. I mean, dude, I was like, who cares what he says? He could have right. said it fucking sucked. I got right. to have a conversation with him. He that's heard still, it. That still put me, yeah, one yeah, in one percent, right? But the way I approached that to answer your question was like some things were super guerrilla, some things were just like again very entrepreneurial, very startup in a lot of ways. Like we're just gonna fucking do this shit. I'm just right. gonna do this shit. If I get a cease and desist, I get a cease and desist. Fuck it. But once you start to develop a reputation and a brand and, and a cachet about it, like you have, you can make more asks. So mm. for example, what I didn't realize, and again, this was kind of hustle mind state, but I didn't know when I lived in Cleveland, right? So I was on the radio every day in Cleveland. I did a show for 20 minutes every single night mixing records on the radio pre-recorded it but they didn't know i was yeah. living in new york half the time but they didn't even know i was just like <laughs> and so like labels they would, our artists would come to cleveland okay and this is how i was able to actually leverage the whole mixtape thing 
I didn't realize that what I was doing though. People would come to town. Hey, can you play my song on the radio? No, I can't play your song on the radio. Um, do you want to meet this so-and-so artist? They're coming in town. No, I don't want to meet this artist. No, we need you to meet this artist. We need to play a song. All right, cool. Well, then we let's have dinner. All right, cool. Where do you want to have dinner? Um, well, I live I lived above a um, house of blues. So yeah. I just ate chicken fingers all fucking day. I was like 270 <laughs> pounds. It's huge. Like all the allergy Were shit we really? did. Yeah, if you look at those old allergy pictures, I'm gonna send you a picture of it so you could. Um, do the little put nah, it on the screen you yo fam i was huge wow. and then you guys had me just in this like nautical shit man i look like a fucking <laughs> like super effeminate popeye it was that's bad. amazing but it was great i love it all but anyways so i would have them eat dinner downstairs from me to okay. really make it convenient for me because i had the power to make the ask and then then they really wanted the song played i would say all right cool I'll, I'll play your song, but um, I need you to record this freestyle for me. Or I need you to record this whatever for me. Mm-hmm. Because in New York, right, everybody's a DJ. Every every DJ on Hot 97 or in LA on Power is like was like a big DJ and a mixtape guy. So there was no way they could do all this stuff for those guys, right? So the but, same way you, when you first started, you went from, okay, if I'm on the radio, then yeah. I'll be able to rock parties. Now yeah. fast forward six, seven, eight years. Right. You said, all right, now... Since you have radio, right. you're going to be able to leverage artists. Yeah, because yeah. you need me, and, yeah. I, and I, I can't get paid for it right. le- legally, But so you can't give me money. I mean, people did, but like, you know, I, you know keep your $100 payola, right. make, do a freestyle for me, do two yeah. freestyles for me. Some of the people ended up becoming like huge, like G-Unit, fucking um, Mob Deep was coming back out, I think, after Prodigy got out of, out of, out of jail. Slum Village was still popping at the time. Yep. Um, uh, you, you name it, like, you know, fabulous. Like, all these, Jada, like, all these people, were, they had to come to Cleveland. Right. They had to go through us. Wow. So we, I was able to get all of that content before we weren't calling it content then. Damn, that's it was crazy. just music. Right. And so I was like, okay, cool. So New York had all the really great mixtape guys. There was nobody coming really from the Midwest, but I had that same aesthetic, mm. and I had the access because people had... So people are like, cool. Like, if I come to Cleveland, I only got to do one freestyle, and it's from right. it. I love Cleveland. You know, the guy goes to Hot 97, he has to do 30 of them. Yeah. He has to do enough. He has to do Flex. He has to do Mr. C. Like, Cleveland was great. You can get by with doing one. However, so then everyone was like, who's this guy coming out of Cleveland that has all this shit? And then, right. I, would, then I would take that, the hustle aspect of getting that content, and I would put it out in a different way. So I'd be very creative mm. and put it over different songs or different freestyles or different beats and, and make things really unique. And so I was able to create a brand off of that. So then that gave me the cachet to go to somebody like a Busta who was like, yo, I really like what you did with my shit. What else could we do? And, and, and so that's when I went to him and I suggested the Dill thing. And it's literally, I literally just talked to him the other day. And he said, he's like, man, everything we ever did was like a fucking amazing he's like he's like i've nailed, still never had better art on a mixtape than i had with you right he's like i've helped him like whenever he needs to find like an art guy to do stuff like i delve, I delve back into like mixtape mic mode and yeah. i am like look looking through got? like who he like because because like if somebody like him calls you you get your answer right and somebody like him is like he's like i got this thing coming out i just need some and i'm like and i'm kind of removed from that now but like I, i'll get back in it for him right right because if i didn't do that project with him maybe my career would be different it's interesting, man. So I, like I remember with the with the Kanye mixtape, and they had that you had a Murakami uh, mm-hmm. graphic on yeah. it, but it was flipped, and yeah. it was like like everything about it was really thoughtful, and and it wasn't like there wasn't anything about it that was half ass. That was the whole thing, and so that's the same that's the same logic that I try to apply as my career had shifted out of like that was the Mick Boogie era, mm. and then that was. That was like the super hip hop era of my career. Then I rebranded five years ago, dropped the boogie, dropped the DJ, just started using my name more so as a personality, if you will, and, and, and still DJ tons. But right. like by, by t- all that shit I learned from that, 
I, I just, I, I apply all that same stuff to everything else I, I do, I want to do, I should do. And it's the same, it's the exact same mind state. What was that thing of, of why you are valuable to these companies? Well, I mean, I definitely think it's, it's the act of, of putting together things in a way that other people wouldn't see. Yeah. So when you look at mixtape culture, that's exactly what that is. Nobody would think to do mm. that, you put it together this way. Same thing with a DJ set. You know, you, you put 10 DJs in a club or in a party, and you, everyone's going to play the same Hot 20 records, right? right? I'm going to play them differently yeah. than you're going to play them, and then he's going to play them hopefully better but the way i do it you're, you're going to get me playing those 20 records versus like a spotify playlist playing them or a radio station playing them so it's going to come across different to you because we all have the same ingredients it's how you put them together so that's what enabled me to have a career that's what enabled me to do creative musical projects and that's the same thing i've been able to do with these people it's also the same thing i've been able to do is putting together the portfolio of the things that i'm in mm. like people are like oh you need to are you just doing like music stuff are you investing in like dj apps music apps i'm like fuck no like i i stay away from that Stuff right because i don't need that i have me i already got that yeah like i want to be able to put together things in a unique way that can everybody can like that i could that i could learn from and that what's the point of bringing to you music and entertainment relationships if you're already a music entertainment wow. thing i'd rather bring that to you if you're if you're in paint or if you're if you're in podcasting which is i'm an anchor which is an amazing and if you're ever in new york and you need somebody to some place to record like we, we we're responsible for like one third of all podcasts globally right now are, are on our platform which is amazing I'm in a travel app. I'm in a um, fucking a company called Dot Dot Dash in Portland. We just produce five installations at ComplexCon. We build like VR robots and wow. shit. Wow. Like, you know, I'm like, but a what lot I'm of stuff. what I'm seeing, it's like you're very strategic in where am I valuable? Yeah. And how do I give that to people? Yeah. Plain and simple. It's important. It's yeah. very important. I don't want to. Do, I don't have the time to do things that don't make sense at this point mm. in my life. So if I'm going to do a gig, it's, it has to, as a DJ, it has to make sense. It has to make hopefully financial sense but it also has to make career sense and branding sense and networking sense or it's this doesn't really make sense at all for me to do it and it's the same thing with with my friends and my peers and the people that i choose to spend time with and it's interesting for the people who who come into my life like they, they're there for a reason because it has to make sense and it's the same thing with the with the investment stuff like it has to make sense and then maybe one day it'll make dollars as dj quick would say <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up man well lastly uh you know the the, the big one this is huge, and as the, our average listener, it's interesting. We did a we did a poll recently. About fifty percent of our listeners are actually parents. Okay. So how do you do it? You got a three year old now. I do. What, what's fatherhood all about for you? And how do you stay sane? How do you stay balanced? And you're traveling, and you you're running businesses. You know what's what's some of your 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 hacks in terms of um, keeping it all together. God looks out for me. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. So that's very helpful. Um, I used to tell people, God's my manager. Oh, They're like, wow. are you manage yourself? I'm like, well, God's actually my manager. You know, he, <laughs> he puts the doors there. You, I mean, yeah. I'm a firm believer. Though I do have an issue with people like, I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for God. Like, God's going to put the door there, mm. but you got to go through that door. Like, mm. you can't just like, that's the one thing that's happened. Like, I realized when I look at my life, like, it's been a ton of doors. I went through them. Right. But like, you know, God, God's, God's not going to reach that golden hand down and push you through right. that door like he's going to give you all the things not when you want them you're going to have your whole it's you know i'm 40 still figuring out what doors and but he's gonna they're all there you but you have to kind of like get yourself through that door so you, right you've got the faith that god's got your back and so you're not worried about taking action 
No, I just, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I worry, I mean, I worry in the micro, but I sure. don't worry in the macro, you right. know, because I, I know it's good, because it hasn't, it hasn't stopped since I was 18 years old, man. Yeah. Like, everything I've wanted to do, if it didn't work out, that just meant some, it was going to work out in a different mm. way in a couple of years. You know, I, it just, everything came, comes at the right time, but I definitely, I'm a big believer in throwing yourself in through the door, and that's stuff that I'm going to, to go back to your question, um, to my son, um, parenthood, Man, that's like the, it's taught me, I had a hustle before, uh, it doubled my hustle, Yeah. it doubled my ambition, you know, the day he was born, I had to be on a flight the next morning to fly all the way out to do a party for Twitter in San Fran, and it was crazy, bro, Wow. and I flew there, I mean, obviously he was healthy and fine, yeah. my wife was fine, like, or I wouldn't have went, but everything was great. So I went from like holding him to like going back home, grabbing my backpack, going to the airport. I flew to San Fran. They didn't even think I was coming. They had a backup guy on call. Oh my god! they didn't come. Did the party with the um, wristband <laughs> on from the maternity <laughs> ward. Flew back home on a red eye and took him, brought him home the next day. Oh my god! You know, gosh. but but what I love, I mean, and honestly, that fucking sucked. Yeah. Like my mind, I, I probably it was probably a horrible set because my mind was like on the like, yeah. like all that. But it doesn't matter because what it showed me was that my mind and my compass was in the right place. Mm. I would do anything for my family. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, it's, it showed me that the level of, of, of hustle I need is already in me. And now I just got to apply that to making sure he's good. So like now I find myself in situations like that all the time where when I, when I, when I need that extra push, when I need that extra motivation, I just look at him. Mm. And, 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 and he looks at me and he, and he thinks I'm cool, yeah. you know, and he, and he like, and he like likes me, like genuinely like right. likes me, which I, which makes me like, yeah. l there's no, at your there's worst. no yeah, at yeah. my worst, yeah. you know? And, and he, that, that to me is just like, there's, there's no words for that. So I get, I get choked up talking about yeah, it. Like, man, like I don't get to see my kid nearly as much as I would like because of, because of my life. But when I do see my kid, I mean, I live with my kid, right. so it's, it's, but it's just but like when I, when I do yeah. see him, I, it's just like, we have these moments that are just like phenomenal. And, and you know, our, our life is not what other people's are. It's not like the nine to five life. It's not right. like the Huxtable life. Well, nobody really wants the Huxtable life now. Cause that would involve like a lot of like Molly and Ray, but like, you know, pro, we used to say the Huxtable life, right? And putting pops up your ass right. or whatever the fuck he was doing with people. Anyways, back to my kid, <laughs> back to my kid. Um, but you, like my, my, one of my best friends, uh, Richard Mulder, he, I heard him say that love is spelled T-I-M-E, mm -hmm. you know, and I, from what I see in watching you, it's like you really cherish that time. I don't think it's about every single day at this time, but it's about what you do with that time. Yeah, you know, totally. And dude, I mean, I, 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 even like if I do a daytime gig, like I'll bring him. That's awesome. You know, he like come through. I'll let you play the song. You want to play his favorite song is Beyonce Ape Shit. Like you want to play it? I'll let you play it. <laughs> That's like, awesome. You know, man. I mean, when I do when when people pitch me now for like, can you do this photo shoot for us? Can you do this? Can you do this? sometimes if it's something that maybe I kind of want to do, but I'm like, all right, cool, I'll do it. What about what can I bring, can I do it with my son? Like we like we're creating our own little we're creating our normal. So like we have amazing memories and amazing opportunities and amazing like touch points that, that have brought us closer together mm. that m a lot of fathers and sons don't have. They have other things. They have more time and an sure. infinite put away. And some people maybe have more money or more other things. But what we have is like it just it really works for us. That's awesome. And, and um, you know, ask me when he's 18. Yeah. But, but I, I I I love it, man. And it's just like you know, there's literally one day like I'm I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have a venture fund one day. Yeah. And I want to name it Milestone because his name is Miles. Yeah. Because like I I got the whole shit like mapped out. That's all, so dope. All because of this dude. And I believe that's gonna happen. I there's not a doubt in my mind that that's not gonna happen. That's awesome, brother. Well, I'm inspired by your your strategy, your way of 
mixing uh, your, look your, at that. Look at your, that. You know, that's where I think that's what that's that's your skill set. You know, you from from music to ideas. I I see you, you're somebody who I think really mixes his strengths. You look at what am I good at and how do I make these things mesh together from uh, your music to entrepreneurship to investing to your fatherhood. And, you know, we're all doing the best that we can with yeah. what we know. Yeah. And I think the key is to really continue uh, learning and to continue growing. Because I don't think we, any of us arrive at a certain place where we're like, oh, I figured it all out. You know, I think the key is to just continue looking, to continue searching. So you don't want to figure it out. No, I think you know what. I, I mean, that's just, when you fall off. I used to think like when I was when I turned twenty five. No, when the night the night I graduated college, I remember saying to myself, "Well, I guess I got this shit figured out." Yeah. I'm. For, I distinctively remember where right. I was laying in bed thinking, "I got it figured out now." Yeah. And then you real year later, you realize you didn't have shit figured out. And then I thought that at twenty five and thirty and all the milestones, right? Things, and no pun intended. Now I'm just like, I don't ever want to think that yeah. because the, the minute you do. Then, then you're stagnant as fuck. And I don't want to be stagnant. And what we're lucky at in our age is like the world's moving so fast now compared to like our grandparents and right, stuff like that. Exactly. Like when your grandpa was 50 and your grandpa was like 70, the world wasn't too different. What, what, what our world's going to be like from 30 to 40 to 50 to 60, 70, it's going to be moving so fast. That's it's it. so exciting. We're going to be doing shit at 60 that didn't even exist Crazy, when we were 50. That, that's, that's exciting. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I want to be part of that. Well, I think Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, you know, and the key is that we keep moving, we keep dodging, we keep jabbing, and we always keep, keep moving, you know, and, 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 and dancing with what life puts in front of us and the opportunities. I always like to say that whatever we find depends on what it is we're looking for. So I really appreciate having people like you on the show that you're constantly looking dude you're all you're you're constantly looking for Always. like what's next what's next it's awesome man well dude i really appreciate it we gotta make sure we uh, our next time we link is not in another 10 years no i think we'll else, do better I you know we'll be we'll be 50 we'll, and really mapping out like what our uh what's that movie bucket list yeah like yeah, all right yeah, mick yeah. let's come <laughs> up with a bucket list that's hilarious well bro any uh Last words, final thoughts, thank yous, shout outs. Man, thank you. I just want to thank, thank you. you. I, your, your journey, uh, since we've reconnected and rediscovering your journey since we met 10 years ago, has been phenomenal, super inspiring. Thank you, man. Um, so thank you, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. Well, well, crew, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, everybody, for, uh, for tuning in. Episode 7, Project Mindset. My man, Mick. Let's go. So tired, but you can't sleep. Stuck in